Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of On Second Thought. And today's going to be a really great day. And especially with the show being presented by VintageBrand.com. Vintage Brand is a sports apparel and gift brand celebrating the rich history of American sporting culture. Their collection includes 10,000 digitally restored authentic vintage works of art reproduced on apparel, wall art koozies, drinkware, and more. So all November long, they're giving away daily $100 promo codes for new email subscribers. Relive your favorite vintage UW logos, Husky Stadium moments, and Rose Bowls. Use promo code HUSKY19 to get 20% off on all products through the end of the year. More details at the end of the show of how one of you lucky listeners can win something from VintageBrand.com. Getting into the game, Washington fell over the weekend to the Utah Utes 33-28 Jacob Eason threw for 316 yards, four touchdowns, two interceptions, went 29 for 52. Savon Ahmed on the ground had 14 carries for 50 yards, and Hunter Bryant in the air had six receptions for 105 yards plus two touchdowns. On the other side of the ball with Utah, Tyler Huntley, 284 yards, one touchdown, went 19 for 24. Zach Moss on the ground had 27 carries for 100 yards and a touchdown. And then Jalen Dixon, two receptions for 72 yards. Overall, both sides did a great job of controlling the time clock and putting up some yardage. So let's get right into the show. And on today's show, like always, we have Brian Jackson and our new co-host, we have Mark Pattison. You may know that name because Mark is the Senior Vice President of Partner Development for Sports Illustrated Media, but he's also a Husky legend. He was a three-year letterman at the University of Washington in Seattle under head coach Don James before being selected in the seventh round of the NFL draft in 1985 by the then Los Angeles Raiders. Weird to say, but he also played for the Rams and Saints. The NFL has also ran a story about him, which documented his life after football called Life After Football, Mark Pattison. So definitely give that a watch. And fun fact, though, he's taken up mountain climbing. And in 2013, he began his journey to climb the highest points on each of the seven continents, and he would become the first NFL player to do so. So welcome, Brian. Welcome, Mark. Mark, how are you doing? I'm doing great, and I love the intro. You know, you're talking about um, vintage brands, and uh, the the, the magic code is Husky19. My number at the University of Washington was number 19, always a favorite of mine, of course, and uh, love that school. Um, you're right. I have now done six of the seven uh, highest mountains around the world. I do have Mount Everest left uh, coming up in spring of 2020. So I've been um, training like a complete animal, like almost back in the day when I was playing for Coach James and uh, really getting ready, not only physically, but mentally to take on that big challenge. You definitely had quite the mouthful of an introduction because you have done so much and that's so exciting. We will definitely have to do a special podcast when you do climb Mount Everest because that's outstanding. It, what kind of honor is it like to be the first NFL player to do so? Before we jump into football, I'm just curious because this is so cool. Yeah. No, no. It, you know, look, I, I didn't jump into – I didn't sit down and think, you know, gosh, what would be really cool to – something to go do. I mean, I was going through an awful time, you know, seven, eight years ago, and and um, it led to a divorce and other, some other things, and, and it just – you know, I just needed something to like get me re-energized and, and to do that, I wanted to put out a big goal 
And, you know, being from the Northwest and, and staring at Mount Rainier out my window every day and, and having climbed many of the different peaks in the Cascades and the Olympics, I, I did some research and uh, I discovered no NFL player to ever climb the seven summits. And a lot of the famous guys, the Whitakers, are from the great state of Washington and grew up idolizing those guys. And so I just kind of put a big goal um, with a, with kind of over a seven or eight year uh, timeline. And, um, you know, I can't believe uh, here I am and now having climbed uh, Kilimanjaro now twice. And I've been on Denali twice, someone at once and uh, climbed these other ones. And so, you know, literally at the front door, and I would love to do a podcast with you, not just before I go to Everest, but I think we should do it when I'm on the mountain at Mount Everest. That would be so cool. Even a live video one would be fun as well. And that Whitaker book that you're t- or that you're talking about, they have the book Peak, which is really cool. So you should write a book as well after. Um, but let's <laughs> just jump right into it. Book yeah. of Savan rushed for 50 yards on the 14 carries, but his efficiency was basically matched with Zach Moss because he only had 20. He had 27 carries for 100 yards, and we've seen Washington get a, such a good flow with the run game and then abandon it. And in Washington's backfield with kind of missing out on that three-headed monster right now of him, Sean, and Richard Newton, it was very crucial that Savon had a great game. And why do you think that they threw in that white flag with him too early? I don't know if they did. You know, I mean, you know, when you look at a football game, it's really all about circumstance and position on the field. And and that's one. Number two is you have a, a quarterback which I have not seen at the University of Washington in many years. And so we had this great debate. My best friend is Jim Mora. Uh, Hugh Millen is also on this thread, too, uh, former quarterback, my quarterback at the University of Washington. And there's this great debate about um, is, is Easton going to go out this year early or is he going to stay? And the reason why we're having that debate, and it doesn't really matter whether somebody's right or wrong, but the reason why we're having this great debate is because he has an NFL arm. With the NFL arm, he can just do things and drop balls in places like he did several times during that game, which just most people can't do. They don't have that kind of arm strength. And so I think it, it gets into situational um, downs when they start going away from the run, as you were saying. Um, and then number two, uh, you know, Utah does have a very, very stiff, I mean, they're considered the top five uh, defenses in the country. So, you know, their success always probably was going to be more through the air than, than, you know, on the ground. And, and you know, overall, Washington, as you said, they, they did what they were looking to do, which is they held on to the ball for about the equal amount of time as what Utah ha- had. And, and they put themselves in all the right positions to win that game. They just didn't execute at the end. I love that you brought up Jacob Eason and Utah's defense because Jacob Eason kind of like mentioned 29 for 52 just at about 50% completion rating and everything like that has that huge NFL arm, like you mentioned. So what is your take on Washington trying to win it through the air, knowing that Utah does have such a good defense, even with, I would say the incompletions and some drop passes. Yeah. Well, this is, let's go back to the the reason why, in my opinion, he's not ready to go to the NFL. You know, the NFL is so difficult to to make, and especially at a quarterback. And you see all these guys, these hot shots, the Josh Rosens of the world that come out, 
and they want to light it up and they're just not ready. And you think they're ready just because they look like they're NFL ready, you know, when they leave college. But the reality is, is Eason played three years ago at Georgia and, and, and had some success there and then really took the last two years off. And now he's just coming into his own and he looks fantastic, but he's still making rookie mistakes. Um, at the end of the day, what costs the, the game for the Huskies, I mean, you could point to a bunch of different things, um, but the thing for me is when he went to throw that out route and just floated it out there and the guy, uh, the the cornerback the, the um, jumps on that ball and does a pick, pick six, you know, it would just, he didn't throw it with deliberation and you can't float a ball that far out from one hash to the other and expect um, you know, for not a bad result to happen, whether it's they bat the ball down or in this case, uh, intercept it and go all the way back. So that was problem number one. Problem number two is when he took off, he was running, he saw an opening, and he did not protect the ball. So what happened at the end of the day, they, they end up coughing up um, uh, 10 points out of that. Um, pick six, which then there was an extra point. So really nine points plus a PAT. So, you know, you go back on the game and you end up uh, winning or I'm sorry, losing the game by five points, and, and, and yet he gave up 10. And so, again, it's really protecting the football. Again, the game plan was there, but the, the players have to execute the game plan that, that is put in front of them. Exactly. And I think that would be a great uh, podcast to do is kind of breaking down benefits, pros, cons of that type of thing for Jacob Eason to go to the NFL or not because there's so many arguments for both. And kind of speaking of winning through the air, like you mentioned those few times and that one pick six that he threw, I also think a big moment in the game was early in the first half. It's fourth down, one yard to go for Washington. And Coach Pete called a timeout to stop the clock at a minute and 15. They line up not in a wildcat formation, which is a first, but instead it's a pass, an attempted pass to tight end Devin Culp. And it looked to be a great play call. It was perfectly thrown but he definitely was bracketed with that two-on-one coverage and credit to Tafua and Mika against Devin Culp so what's your opinion on that one well this is my opinion and I want to go back one week earlier against Oregon okay so similar type of deal where um, you know Oregon is the seventh ranked team in the country um, they're playing with a lot of aggressiveness a lot of talented players they come into Husky Stadium yeah, the, the, the crowd completely fired up on a great day. And you had everything that you'd ever want going for you, including a, I think, a 10-point lead, 10 or 14-point lead going into the third quarter. And, and um, now somehow or another, Oregon comes back. There's some turnovers, and they're now back in the game, and now they're up, and there's, there's you know, a minute or so left to go, and we have the ball, and we're driving down the field, and we get into another critical fourth-down play. And like this play that happened last week um, on, on fourth down, uh, Eason, who threw actually a really good ball, but the, the receiver's feet got tangled up in the, in, the, uh, in the cornerback's feet. I thought it was pass interference. They didn't call it that way. But at the end of the day, Eason's thrown to a freshman, right? And now you, you fast forward the clock to the Utah game. And now you're throwing to the tight end, who's also a freshman. Back in my day for the University of Washington, and I and I and I hate it when people go back in my day. We you know we were so much better. But <laughs> Don James had a system where we didn't rebuild; we constantly were reloading. And the reason why we we were reloading is because that we'd bring John James would recruit players, and then he'd bring players in, they'd redshirt them, and so you know a lot of guys like myself didn't get 
playing really until their third, second or third, maybe fourth year, you know, after redshirting. So, you know, in my case, I, 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 I began starting games when I was a redshirt junior, which if I hadn't redshirted, I, I would have been a senior. And so with that came all this different experience. I'd been in those situations. I'd been in the Rose Bowls. I'd been in games where there was, it was pressure. I'd been in the games where there was, you know, 100,000 plus people. And when you go have these go-to plays in critical moments, they just haven't had that experience. And the experience really counts. And so, as you said, the ball was perfectly placed. It was a great play. He put it right in his hand. He dropped it over some, some defenders, and he just, you know, didn't make it happen. Now, was that because he was a freshman, a retro freshman? I don't know, but, you know, certainly could have been. And it seems like whenever experience comes into um, uh, different commentators explaining about the difference between a win and a loss, it always seems to be a, a difference factor between guys who come into the game with experience um, versus guys who don't. I'm sure, you know, the quarterback for Oregon, he's really good this year, um, a lot of it because he has all this experience. Jacob Epson goes and throws you know, that deep uh, out to the left and gets picked for six. Maybe he doesn't do that if he has another year of playing under his belt, right, for consistency. So I think that you're right. That was a big part of the game. And then, you know, uh, Utah ends up getting the ball and goes down and, and, and uh, kicks a field goal for three more points. So all these little things, they, they all caught up. You make so many great points with that because – all of that is true. Devin Culp, you really don't see him much on the field. And he was put in at a very, I don't know if critical time is the right word, but for a huge play. And after that happened, I kind of looked at my dad and we sat down and going into halftime, I was kind of like, I like the gutsy play call because it's not really expected. But was that the right play to run in a fourth and one situation I, like that at midfield? What do you think? I, I think it was. I think it was the right play. It was question. The real question I'm bringing up is that was it the right personnel? Was it the right guy to be throwing the ball to yes. like an Oregon game when they were throwing that that slant route? You know, I remember back in the day when I got in when I was a sophomore. It was one of the first times I was playing. It was sold out in Husky Stadium um, and against the Bruins, and it was a critical moment. And I was backing up um, one of our our receivers. I think it was Paul Scanzi. And uh, he went out of the game. And so I, I went in and it was a pass play and it was, you know, we're getting down probably in the red zone and the, you know, 20, 25 yard line going in. And I was freaking out. My eyes were big. And I remember by the time I got to be <laughs> a junior or senior and now I'm playing against Michigan and back in Oklahoma and all these places, you know, I'd, de- I'd been there and done that so many times. And it just seemed like I could hear a pin drop in the stadium. My eye, you know, like I wasn't bright eyed and bushy tailed and, and, and worried about the crowd. I couldn't even hear them. And it seemed like everything was in slow motion. And that's when, again, where experience kicked in, where leadership kicks in. When you've been there, you've done that. And it's not all new. And that's why, you know, if you had to point to it, is this kid capable of catching the football? Of course he is. He's a big, strong, tight end. You know, he can absolutely do it. But, you know, the, the, the disconnect is in between the ears, not necessarily his physical talent. You make up a great you bring up a great point with that, because, you know, had it been maybe Hunter Bryant, does he bring that in? It's one of those things that we will never know. And so it's kind of something we now have to live with. And thank you for coming on. And we hope you enjoyed your first time at On Second Thought. And we keep having you back because you're not part of this dog thoughts family and where can people follow you they can follow me at mark patterson nfl 
Um, that's my Twitter handle. That's my Instagram handle. And uh, that's my website, MarkPattisonNFL.com. So um, love to, to engage and connect with fans. And I love Husky football, you know. I really do, and it's given me a place to continue to spend my Saturdays on, in this case, on Oregon State, it'll be Friday night, but, um, you know, it's just, they brought kind of tradition, Coach Pete, there's so many good things working, and despite losing, you know, I think we're going to be back stronger than ever this next season, um, finish out this, this year strong, and, you know, it's just, it's a, it's a great environment, I've been all over the country, I've been to all these different schools, and there's no greater environment than the University of Washington Husky Football Stadium. And that is why Washington is known as the greatest setting in college football. You heard it from the man himself, Mark Patterson. So make sure you tune in next time so that we can have him back on and give him a follow. All right. Let's bring in Brian now because, Brian, I am dying to talk to you because you are definitely the defensive guru for this. And I'm still trying to see if the glass was half empty or half full on this game. It was against a top 10 team. It's not like it was 2016 Oregon State defense, but three times, three times UW could have gotten off the field on a third and long. And is the glass half full that Huntley just dropped dimes to his receivers, receivers every time it was needed? Or is the glass half empty and blown coverage? And before you break down your play, half full or half empty? Your call. <laughs> I'm going to say it's half. I, I'm probably going to have to go with half empty, and I'm never a negative person. I'm usually an optimist and a positive person. You're, so you're definitely most optimistic I, out of all of us. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, as I broke down the game and I was looking at the plays, really it came down to execution. And so these games are ones where you're going to go back and you're going to watch film and you're going to be like, man, if I had just done that a little bit different, if I had been assignment sound, we would have been successful on that play and we would have been off the field. So here in a moment, when we break down that third and 12 play that you're talking about, it was, it came right down to execution. So defensive coaches, defensive back coaches, defense, you know, they're, they're going to have some coaching moments that they're going to be able to do with the players watching film, do some course correcting and uh, things should be better next week. And I think Mark brought up a great job of inexperience and things like that on the offensive side of a ball. But you being the defensive master that you are, how big is experience defensively for this team? And if there is more defense, more experience with this defense, does plays like third and long being given up happen? Well, I, I, I do think the experience matters. I, I couldn't agree more with what Mark was saying and, and he was listening. Oh, what a great interview and a great discussion. I just sat back and I was just like, going, oh, man, that makes so much sense. Because, yeah, I've, I've played also and I, when I was playing at Utah State. I remember you go out there as a freshman, as a sophomore, you have, you know, one or two years experience under your belt and you're nervous. You're just you just don't have that same level of confidence that you do when you get into your later years when you're a junior and you're a senior, and you've been in those big game moments. And like what you just talked about, you've been in those big situation moments where it is third and 12, it is third and long, you want to get off the field. The score is a two-point game, you're late in the game. And when you're, when you're an inexperienced player, it's the nerves that are setting in. When you're experienced, it's like, okay, I've got this. I'm putting the team on my back, and I'm going to make this play, and I'm going to make it happen so that we're off the field and that we're, that we're giving the ball back to the offense. 
Um, couldn't agree more with what he was saying. I do think with Washington, there are a lot of experienced players out there. And really what it came down to on this, on the, in this game was just a little bit, they, they lacked in execution. Execution definitely was, I don't want to say the Achilles heel of this game because it kind of was, it was executing fourth down and third down offensively, but it was also executing those big plays right. on defense. And so I think that's a good transition into let's look at a third down play early in the fourth quarter with Washington up 21 to 20. Utah has the ball third and 12 at their own 35 yard line. If Washington can force a punt, they can make it a two score lead. Go ahead and break down that play for us, because I think that's a good one, especially with what we've been talking about today. Yeah, so you, you set it up well. It's third and 12. The ball's on the 35. It's 21-19, and we're, we're at a very crucial point in the game, fourth quarter. What you want to do right here as a defense is you want to get off the field. So, Kayla, you've probably seen this at times when you're watching from the sidelines. Have you ever seen, uh, like, the team, they'll hold up a sign that says 10 or 11 or 12 when the defense is out on the field? I don't know if you've noticed that at all. Um, but uh, what, what typically what a defense will do is in, in this particular situation, Utah came out in a 10 personnel. And what that means is that they have one running back in the backfield next to Huntley, and they have no tight ends in the game. So that means they have five wide receivers out in the game, out, out in, in the play. And so typically when a team goes to 10 personnel, you're all automatically thinking, hey, this is going to be a pass. You also put in, in that it's third and 12, and definitely it's going to be a pass right here. So typically what a defense will do, and it, it is what Washington did, is you're going to come back and you're going to counter that by coming into like a dime or a nickel personnel. So you're going to bring in your best DBs, four or five DBs. You're going to sub out some of your linebackers. So you're countering what, what uh, Utah is bringing to the table on this. So Utah comes out. They're in a trips set to the left. It's a bunch set. So they have one receiver that's up on the line of scrimmage, and you have two that are basically lined up right next to, right behind him, right next to each other. So it's a real tight set. And what Washington decided to do is they decided they, they were going to blitz Miles Bryant off the edge, trying to put some pressure on Huntley. And so when you know a blitz is coming, a, a, a good solid blitz as a quarterback, you should only have about three, maybe four seconds at the most to be able to get the ball off before you're being hit. Typically when a blitz is coming like that, uh, Washington, and it is what they did here, you're going to be in a man-to-man defense on the backside and in, in the secondary. So they blitz Miles Bryan off the edge, and Huntley does exactly what a quarterback is trained to do, and he steps up in the pocket. So Miles Bryan is kind of pushed and just washed behind him and then on the bunch set that they're pressed up on a man-to-man coverage uh elijah molden is he presses the point and he's taking the receiver that's right on the ball and he runs just a seam route right up the middle and then dominic hampton he lines up on the inside and he he's taking the inside receiver um, which happens to be dixon in this play and then trent mcduffie he's lined up on the outside and he's taking the outside receiver this is where I thought technique-wise they kind of they messed this up. Typically when you're in a bunch set, 
you communicate as DBs and, and Hampton should be talking to McDuffie and say, Hey, I've got the first guy that breaks in. You take the first guy that breaks out. They really didn't do that. They just tried to play man straight through it the entire time. So McDuffie's guy runs a 10 yard in and he jumps that. And then all they simply did is Dixon ran a will route to the outside and Hampton tried to come up and he did the, this is where I'm talking about technique. He did exactly what you're not supposed to do. He came up and he tried to collision Dixon with his hands. He literally shoved his hands out trying to push him and he completely whiffed. He missed him. And so when you try to collision a receiver with your hands, what it does is it stops your feet from moving. And so Dixon just went right by him because he missed, got behind him, Huntley steps up in the pocket and he did lay a perfect dime pass right over the shoulder, hit Dixon in stride. And that was a huge play, but really it could have been stopped had Hampton just simply played his technique, right? Tried to not collision the the receiver with his hands and stayed in his back pedal and then turned on time. He would have been over the top of it or even better had he and McDuffie communicated and just said, Hey, I've got the first in route. You take the first out route. Uh, McDuffie would have been all over that will route. And they would have they would have had it stopped. So that's what I saw in that play. Credit you, Tato. They executed it. Yeah, that was an outstanding breakdown that you just did, and absolutely amazing because that when they bunched those trips, they usually picked up a lot of bigger yardage. And kind of like you said, you know, you have they send Miles Bryant to the blitz and. Mm-hmm. again, miscommunication type thing like that. Does that happen with more experience? Probably not because you're not making that kind of technique mistake air quotes around that. But do you think that was a good defensive play call or would you have kind of called something different? Would you have blitz Tyler? Uh, Huntley? Yeah, I, I wouldn't have, uh, I wouldn't have come with the blitz. You come in with a dime or a nickel personnel and Huntley is not the type. I mean, he, he is, he has been uh, this year. He's been very consistent. He has completed a lot of passes, but I think what you do is you want to make sure you have an extra uh, defensive back in the backfield. You're maybe bracketing or you're spying another guy with another safety over the top. And what that does is that allows you to have better coverage and, and Washington has a, a good enough defensive line. They're going to be able to get home at some point and hit Huntley. So that's, I, I probably wouldn't have come with the blitz on third and 12. Um, that's kind of what you, I was thinking. Too. Of, yeah. You put a lot of pressure on your DBs. And when you have McDuff, McDuffie lined one-on-one with, uh, or not McDuffie, excuse me, Hampton lined one-on-one with Dixon running a wheel route. Yeah. They, they put themselves in a bad position on that one. Most definitely. And Thank you so much for that awesome breakdown. It was really interesting. And I like kind of the way that you (laughs) not just broke down one player, but you kind of touched on all of the DBs. And it really related well to this whole inexperience and technique of things. And quickly, Tyson is going to be breaking down the Washington-Oregon State preview. But Oregon State is coming off of a huge win against Arizona down in the desert Washington is still favored, but how does the defense rally and kind of get themselves back in the mindset of controlling Jake Glutton for Oregon State against also a good receiver, kind of like uh, Isaiah Hodgins, who has 12 touchdowns so far in the season and almost 900 receiving yards? 
Well, I think the first thing is you, you, you they, they allowed Huntley to go 19 for 24. You may not have seen this yet, but he was uh, just given the award for the um, Pac-12 Player of the Week, Offensive Player of the Week, um, you know, through for over 280 yards. You've got to make sure that uh, you have more incompletions than that. And to do that, a lot of times that means putting some pressure on the quarterback. He needs to be hit. Um, one of the things when I was listening to the breakdown that Mark was talking about that he did not mention um, in the second half, I felt like Eason was not as consistent as he was in the first half. And the main, main reason was is that the defensive line for Utah started putting some pressure on him. And when he threw that pick six, if you go back and you watch it, he threw that ball off his back foot. And quarterbacks typically are thrown off their back foot when they, they've, they've had a little bit, they've been hit a few times, they've been sacked a few times, they're a little bit rattled. And they're trying to hurry their throws too much. And so for Washington to be successful against Oregon State, first thing, they got to get pressure on the quarterback. Get him a little bit rattled. And if they can do that, they'll create some more incompletions. They'll probably get him into making some mistakes and have some interceptions of their own. And then, of course, the second part would be stopping the run. But, yeah, I want to I see him hitting the quarterback uh, a few more times. They And they were doing that at first. There was about three sacks in the first half alone. Joe Tryon was on fire with that, and so definitely a lot of pass rushing and kind of getting away from it. And on Huntley's last 13 passes in the game, there was only one incompletion. So 12 for 13 on his last 13 is definitely game-winning quarterback numbers. And I would say a well-deserved off- Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Week win for him. So thank you both. Yeah. You and Mark. I know Mark already jumped off because he is busy. And so thank you so much again for coming on your show. I feel bad. I forgot to ask how you were doing today. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing fantastic. Other than like I told uh, Mike this earlier, um, I, I had to travel to Utah this week for work. And I just bought my first just awesome University of Washington Husky hoodie. And I decided to wear it on the airplane. And I had <laughs> seven Utah U- University of Utah fans surrounding me. And uh, let's just say I got a little bit of razzing. And I was given a hard time on that flight to uh, Salt Lake City, Utah. <laughs> You're like, I'm from so Utah. I'm you can't do this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 I was true. I said, hey, I'm a Washington fan. So, uh, yeah, you got us this year. But next year. It's going to be a different story. Next year will hopefully definitely be a different story that we can talk happily more about. But thank you again, (laughs) you and Mark. So keep checking out sportsillustrated.com forward slash college forward slash Washington for our other Husky shows like Fourth and Inches tomorrow. That will include a men's basketball game kind of preview against number 18 Baylor along with an Oregon State preview with the Pac-12 Network's Mike Yam and then Tyson's Oregon State game preview. So share our show and you will automatically be entered into a drawing to win a $50 credit on vintagebrand.com promo code Husky19. If you kind of missed any of that, it's at the beginning of the show. So go back and take a listen. And thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of On Second Thought. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. That way, every time a new episode is posted, it goes straight to the device you're listening on. Five stars only, thumbs up only, but feedback is appreciated so we can continue to bring great content. Until next time, I'm Kayla Olin. Mark Mark Pattison already signed off, but he is Brian Jackson. Mike says go dogs. 
I say go dogs, Brian. Go dogs. The proceeding was a Howling Husky production.